0: one. Hi everybody, I'm Wong Shoes, along with Patricia and Barry Farber Five, Four, Three, Two, One.
1: Hi everybody, I'm Wong Shoes, along with Patricia and Barry Farber. Welcome to Yesterday
0: USA. It is my delight. Thank you very much. I love I love what America was yesterday, and I hope I live to see it the same way tomorrow.
1: Mr. Farber, you are just delightful. I put together a a compilation, about six or seven sentences here. It's very difficult to get your entire life in seven sentences. I think I would need seven volumes. But I'd like to run through them to make sure that our listeners understand who you are and what we are going to be talking about. Um, First, I I love the round sounds of North Carolina. We have not had that in my ears since I left New York, and that, that is just terrific. On my list, and please help me know if I've got this correct. Okay. You are syndicated talk show host today with Book Radio Network. Your show is Insights with Barry Farber on Saturdays. I got that right? That's right. Okay. Uh, Profile, just a little bit of background to the 1950s. You were an international reporter, and you covered things like the Cuban Revolution. I mean, this, this was not, you didn't sit in the coffee shop over in, exactly. in, in Paris. You were really in the trenches. In 1960, you were probably considered the pioneer, although I know there were, there were others along with you, but the pioneer in 1960, when you launched your first show, Barry Farber's Open Mic. And what's striking, at least is striking, is that it was on WINS in New York, which was a rock and roll station. There's a reason
0: for that, and I'll be happy to explain it if you should want to
1: hear it. I am going to ask you to do that in just a minute. That would be fabulous, because a couple of the questions I have deal with, how did you do this, and my gosh, with, with that kind of a, a lineup in a station in 1990 according to what i came up with you went national with your show and with a couple of others founded a talk radio network called day net which That's actually, right that became if i'm correct that became the launch pad for independent talk radio syndication so you are one of the fathers of syndication in this genre correct
0: well you put it in such glowing terms i'm not going to fight you
1: well, <laughs> you deserve the glowing terms i'm almost finished here um in 1991 you were named talk show host of the year by the national association of radio talk show hosts number nine on the list of all-time talk show hosts you're a linguist i think you will blow people away when we talk about 26 languages that you speak and are quite comfortable with Um, And there are some on your list from locations that people probably don't know where they are on a map. Um, I mean, truly, we're talking Russian, Bengali, Chinese, Indonesian, Danish, Dutch, Finnish, Bulgarian, Korean, and that's just part of the list. Um, It's staggering. Author? How to Learn Any Language, Uh, that that sounds reasonable. Making people talk sounds reasonable. This one, I think, should be required reading throughout the United States, How to Conceal Stupidity. (laughs) Just love it. And one that probably has a little bit more serious been, How Not to Make the Same Mistake Once.
0: Uh, Wow. uh, You've destroyed my Air Force on the ground. I just want to keep listening.
1: Well, you are. I'll tell you what. I just uh, I knew a little bit about you because of my time with radio, uh, listening as a listener in New York. So, uh, and some of this really surprised me. The political contender, I was not surprised. I did remember that uh, you had a run for United States Congress, and also mayor of New York City. And if my memory serves correctly, your posture on that was not so much to run for a win, but to run because people deserved to know what the other side.
0: Well, I had the—see, in New York City, all over New York State, there are four major parties. Now, I don't know any other state that can say that. We have the Republican, the Democratic, and we also have the Liberal and the Conservative. I had the Conservative Party nomination, and no, there was a chance to win. It was remote. But if I had captured the Republican nomination, which we ran for and failed to get— and if the Democrats had lived true to their form and nominated the leftmost candidate, which at that time was Bella Abzug, then I could have won.
1: Remarkable. I, I had forgotten that there were four parties up there. Um, which really created quite a split with the votes. Now, you were were, uh, still doing, at the same time you were campaigning, you were continuing your radio life, among other things. But I'd like to start with the WINS program, uh, Barry Farber's open mic. Tell me how that came about. What kind of resistance did you meet with? How were you confident? What made you confident that this could work?
0: Well, I would like to say, uh, WINS, you're quite right, was not just a rock and roll station. It was the number one station in New York, maybe the number one station in America, Uh with its 24-hour-a-day rock and roll format. Now, I would love to tell you that the executives got together and said, look, we're a rock and roll station, but this guy Farber does such a great talk show, we've got to make room for him. No, that was not the reason they gave me a show there was something very big called the Paola Scandals in the late 1950s and in the year 1960. It turned out that the record companies were paying disc jockeys money, drugs, and sex, not necessarily in that order, (laughs) to play certain songs. Well, the FCC had never asserted itself before. As you know, every radio station, in filing for its license, has to promise what it's going to do if the government gives it the precious privilege to use the public air. And they all read like holy books. Oh, give us a license. We're going to have 21% educational, 18% public affair. You understand what I mean? Yes. But all they did was have a turntable and a lawyer (laughs) and and, and just play rock and roll music. Well, when the FCC said, wait a minute, uh, we are going to check and see which stations are living up to their promises. At that point, every station in New York reached out to try to find someone who could complete an English sentence without egregious error. And that person became a talk host so they could say, you see, we're changing our ways. We are beginning with a talk show. So, uh, somebody once said Fidel Castro is the only dictator who can say, I got my job through the New York times. Uh, I can certainly, I may not be the only one, but I'm certainly one talk host who can say, I got my job through the FCC. Their crackdown made stations look for people who could do talk shows.
1: So they were receptive. Did you approach them, or did they approach Well, I was working
0: at the station. It was 100% music, but they, uh, uh, I was producing a talk show. They didn't put me on the air. This is interesting. I've almost forgotten about this. They did not give me the talk show. I was a producer, and there was a disc jockey who sort of had seen the best part of his career, but he was sort of beloved, revered, and they didn't want to fire him. So they asked him if he'd like to be a talk show, and he hated it. He hated talk like the devil hates holy water, but he also liked getting a paycheck. So uh, they put me in charge of him as his producer in May of 1960. And I mean, we got along like a slow waiter and a poor tipper. He just hated the fact that he wasn't playing his music, and he sort of sensed that he was being put out to pasture. And one day he upped and left for San Francisco. And the boss said to me, look, you take over. For one week, it'll take us one week to cancel everything, pull out all the plugs, tell the sponsor we're canceling the show, uh, and you, take, you be the caretaker for that one week. Well, on the first night, Monday night, the boss came down, uh, and we had not just a good show, we had a good-looking show. We had Ola Tunji, the Nigerian drummer with his flowing, multicolored African robes. And Theo Bakel, the man of a thousand faces and a thousand places. He could do any accent in the world, sing folk songs from every country in the world. And the show was not just good to be over the air, but it, it, it sitting right there in Mama Leone's restaurant where we broadcast from at the time. The boss was quite taken with that, and he had... A memo on my desk the next morning saying, don't cancel anything. Go with it. Congratulations and good luck. And I've been going with it ever since. Uh, that was uh, September 1960. Just imagine if I had just asserted myself a little earlier and gotten on the air in 1959 instead of 1960, then I could say, I have broadcast through. The 50s, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, and whatever you want to call this right now.
1: Just remarkable. Absolutely remarkable. Uh, At the same time this was happening, I I have two questions. You, You just prompted two questions. One, how you cultivate an audience on a rock and roll station, or one that was seen and still held on as a rock and roll station. And what made you think this would work?
0: You're not going to believe the answer but i want the lord to take me in one blinding sulfuric flash if i'm lying to you as i told you our station w-i-n-s in new york which has been a news station now since 1965. they the people there now know less about what i'm telling you than you do at the moment uh but w-i-n-s was the number one rock and roll station And I followed, they put me on at 11 at night, and I followed a very popular disc jockey named Murray the K. Uh, Murray Kaufman was his real name, and Murray the K was his radio name. Well, in my first month on the air, my ratings showed that I was number one in New York. Because the kids, they all listened to Murray the K. And when I came on afterwards, before they caught on to the fact that I wasn't going to play any music, they couldn't turn me off fast enough to keep me from being number one. Do you understand what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was 100% lead in. I was not number one at all, but Murray the Caves lead in made me look like number one. And meanwhile, there was a real traditional, very serious talk station in town. W. O. R. And they saw, Hey, this kid is number one and he's not even on a talk station. Maybe we ought to bring him over. And they brought me over, uh, in 1962. Uh, so that's how I made my accommodation with the rock Churchill once said, I got more out of alcohol than alcohol ever got out of me. <laughs> well, I got more out of rock and roll than rock and roll ever got out of me. <laughs> that
1: is terrific. Now, you talked a little bit about payola. That even spilled over into television. Um, Dick Clark was was pulled into that milieu. Um, it, it was really a mess, and the entire industry was was shot all over the place. So there were pieces, there were pieces to pick up, and you were available to glue some of them together. But still, within the industry, th- this was new. I mean, you you were with a couple of others you were the foundation for today's talk show radio
0: well i'll take about half of that compliment and leave the rest on the counter out of sheer honesty Uh, you see uh, uh, the uh, uh, the fact of the matter is uh, there were two giants uh, who were already uh, on the air uh, Tex McCrary, who was my first boss in broadcasting, and Barry Gray. Just, the, the history of this is so interesting. Uh, in those days, radio didn't really interview. Radio congratulated. The toughest question ever asked was, tell me about your next movie, Baby. Uh, uh, and Barry Gray got into a fight with the most powerful person in the American media at that time nobody wanted to cross swords with the great walter winchell but ba- barry gray uh, uh, stuck up uh, for uh, josephine baker who was an african-american woman singer who had sort of lived out her career in exile in paris and she came back to america and at the store club she was snubbed one night the story goes They didn't bring her what she wanted. When they brought it, it was cold. They didn't apologize. And she complained on the Barry Gray show. Well, Walter Winchell went to the store club. It was the one place in New York where celebrities went. Number one, El Morocco was a distant second. The store club was it. And Sherman Billingsley was the owner of the store club. And he and Walter Winchell were intertwined like two long-lost lizards. And Walter Winchell sprang the length of his chain and sank his fangs into Barry Gray because Barry Gray stuck up for Josephine Baker and criticized the behavior of the restaurant staff and therefore criticized the owner. Well, Barry Gray put out uh, 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 an appeal to, to, to the public to support Josephine Baker, demand that she get an apology. And Walter Witchell put out a memo that every single celebrity, every publicity agent in New York, and New York was about 100% of the action then, and said, anybody who appears on the Barry Gray show will never, will never have his name in my column again. Well, that force, so every single celebrity that was booked on the Barry Gray Show backed out. They ran, because not being in Walter Winchell's column ever again was too much punishment. So can you imagine this? There was a meeting in Barry Gray's office, and they figured, what are we going to do? No celebrity guest will come on the show. And somebody said, now this is delicious history, I'll let it. Somebody in that meeting, and this is, I'm not going back to the Peloponnesian Wars, this is the 1950s. Somebody in that meeting said, Well, since we can't interview celebrities, why don't we interview politicians? And everybody else at the meeting said, What? <laughs> he said, Yeah, you know, public figures, the mayor, the governor, senators, congressmen, candidates. And the consensus was almost with one voice. Who in the world would want to listen to them? And today we have what we have. Necessity is the mother of invention. Talk radio and talk television today is very heavily weighted uh, on the side of doers and gets criticism for paying so much attention to celebrities. But it was 100% wall-to-wall show business celebrities until Walter Winchell lowered the boom on the Barry Gray show.
1: So he changed the entire landscape of talk show radio.
0: Yeah, well, uh, so uh, so anyhow, I came along, and uh, uh, I added. Uh, I mean, when I look at the giants of today, Sean Hannity, for example, uh, I I sometimes feel like I like I should. Give back every compliment I ever got, because uh, we never, we never did stuff like that. Here, they salute me being a pioneer, inventing talk radio, uh, uh, what it is today. Yeah, we would interview controversial people and read their books and ask tough questions, but we would not get on galloping media stallions and fight wars uh, the way it's done today. So I really admire—I admire the giants of today more than <laughs> anybody ever admired me, or more than anybody ever had the right to.
1: My contention is they probably would not be where they are today, and talk show radio would not be where they are today had. Well,
0: you know, yeah. One uh, you build on that layer, on top of layer, on top of layer. Uh, I've always wondered. Uh, we know the way inventions came was there any law that said they had to come that way uh it it, 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 did did radio have to come before television Uh, did tape have to come before the cassette and the cassette before the cd and the cd before the dvd the best answer i ever got was it's a good thing Edison invented the electric light bulb, or we'd all be watching television by candlelight. <laughs> yes,
1: that, that's a good one. Now, you you tackled, and I'm stretching my brain here, on Barry Farber's open mic. You took call-ins. Is that correct? Uh, the the
0: the technique was very primitive at the time. We took a few, but it sounded like. World War II dispatches from Chongqing, China. We didn't take many call-ins then. I began to take more call-ins in the 70s.
1: When you took call-ins, were you still doing the open mic? Barry Farber's open mic? Not really.
0: No, I, I guess the legal answer would have to be no. We sometimes reached out and got people on the phone, but even that was dicey. I'll tell you why. There was some law, and I'll never understand it. I will never understand this as long as I live. There was a law that said, if you are talking on the telephone, on the air, there must be a beep every 30 seconds. As a matter of fact, we call them beeper interviews. And if you were to wake me up in the middle of the night, if if somebody were to wake me up tomorrow morning and say, Barry, what did you do yesterday? I'd say, well, I had a beeper telephone. (laughs) I'd still call it that from the old days. And the beeps every 30 seconds drove you crazy. Uh, Why? I I mean, I understand the purpose uh, of a seatbelt. I understand the purpose of not being allowed to drink when you drive. I will not in my lifetime understand why there had to be a beep every 30 seconds. When they dropped that, and uh, telephone calls quit getting on your nerves, then that was the new wave, the call-in show, and that uh, I was very happy with that.
1: What were you What were you doing to stay current? I, I could tune in, and anybody else could tune in. You could talk about political issues, social issues, topical issues, New York issues, Russian issues. Nothing was out of uh, off limits, and everything was something you could address. What were your news sources? What did What did you use as a source of information?
0: Well, don't. Don't forget, uh, 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 I was introduced to a speech not long ago, and the one who introduced me said, I'm not saying Farber's been around for a long time, but if you'll study that painting of The Last Supper, he's third from the right. uh, uh, I don't have to study history. I remember. (laughs) That's Ronald Reagan's great line. I mean, I I remember Pearl Harbor every bit as clearly as I remember 9-11, and, uh, of course, so for me, history began with World War II, but in World War II, we have necessity learned about World War One, and that took us back uh, almost to the beginning of the 1900s. So uh, I just had a good... I never really liked history in school, and I read it. And I, wish, I wish this were my idea. I think I would have liked history a lot better if they had taught it backwards. Uh, if instead of going back to Benjamin Harrison and Millard Fillmore, when I grew up, Roosevelt was president. He was the only president we knew. He was the only president I knew until he died when I was 15. Because, you know, Before, when I was born, he wasn't president, but <laughs> he became president. He was elected president when I was two. As a matter of fact, President Roosevelt was such a, such a figure, uh, uh, a, a sixth, sixth grader of that period was heard telling his parents, Mommy, can I have dinner early tonight because the teacher wants us to turn on the radio at 7 o'clock because the President is going to speak. Uh, so anyhow, I, uh, if, if, if they taught us history backwards, who was before Roosevelt? Herbert Hoover. Wow, okay. Okay, and before Hoover, well, his name was Calvin Cooley. I think I would have been more interested because you go from what you can identify to what you've sort of heard of, and then you kind of your appetite is whetted for what came right before that. But when they start with John Adams and Thomas Jefferson, it's like you're on a different planet.
1: Did you bring that approach to talk radio when, when you were talking with people about a current event Did you take them from today and work backwards?
0: I tried to, yeah. Good point. I always tried to. As a matter of fact, I love it when uh, some of the giants of today uh, confess that uh, they took me literally, when they were listening at the age of 10, uh, under the covers, illicitly with a transistor. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) and I'd be talking about, for example, communist Albania. Uh, And I would say, now, In Albania, I'd say, now, come on now, this is not just entertainment, this is education. Get a map, get a globe. Sean Hannity tells his audience he would actually tiptoe out of bed (laughs) and get a map and get a globe. And I like to think that helped him become where he is today. Yeah, sure, I would, uh, uh, first of all, uh, I would try to stay away from subjects that were plain old boring. I never... I I never looked at it like a history professor and said, what do they need to know tonight? It was always based on the headlines of today and what in the past can reflect on those headlines and make them more meaningful.
1: Remarkable. When did you move to WMCA?
0: Uh, After my unsuccessful run for mayor in 1977.
1: 1977. I have a note in front of me that says, from the time you walked into that station and set up your show Monday through Friday, the ratings went up 50%. Is that correct?
0: uh, Something like that. You you know a little bit better than I, because it it was a serious talk station. Uh, uh, On WINS, I I was lucky. I had that strong lead-in from a rock and roll giant before me. Uh, When I got to W.O.R., Uh, And then later, uh, the WMCA, those were serious talk stations trying to build an audience. And when you got the whole station pulling with you, uh, it's easy to, you know, it's a a little easier to pull good ratings.
1: What was going on in the 1960s and 1970s that made the listening audience open and receptive to talk radio? Uh,
0: I like to think it was uh, that uh, at that time, you know, considering what's going on today, uh, a war, two wars, and a, an overriding war on terror and the terrifying attack uh, against um, the American homeland. In those days, we had the Cold War. I clearly remember the, the pinnacle day of peak tension of the Cuban Missile Crisis. It was the first day in American history when wives called their husbands downtown in the office and said, come home early, come home now, they feared a nuclear attack on New York and Washington. So just because it was before 9-11 does not mean nothing was going on. We had a very formidable adversary, the Soviet Union. And although uh, there were... People, I forget what we called them at the time, did we call them liberals? I don't know. But uh, there were people who were very skeptical uh, when we pointed to the aggressive nature and the aggressive appetites of the Soviet Union. Uh, uh, They would say, now you're a red baiter, Uh, you're a warmonger. And I'd say, come on, man, wherever the Americans went in World War II, we liberated We set up democracies. Uh, We liberated Norway, Denmark, Holland, Belgium, France, Yugoslavia, Greece. We even liberated the number one enemy, Germany, for crying out loud, Japan. We gave them democracies. Wherever the Soviet Union forces conquered, they set up one-party communist puppet states, Hungary, Bulgaria, Romania, Czechoslovakia, Albania. So um, we had uh, a lot of uh, difficulty with Americans who just said, oh, come on, get off there! don't be a red-baiter, you're a Joe McCarthyite kind of thing. We were very fortunate. To this day, we have no idea how fortunate we were that the Soviet Union imploded. It just imploded. It always was a consumer fraud. Mm-hmm. And too many of its people just began to learn too much about the outside world. And it was, I, it came current, apart like an Alka-Seltzer tablet under Niagara Falls.
1: I, I beg your pardon for, for tripping into you. If I'm hearing you correctly, you're telling me that current international and... And national affairs prompted an additional interest in people who wanted to know what was going on. Oh, yeah. You offered another source of information.
0: Oh, sure. During World War II, there was uh, no difficulty getting people listening to newscasts. Their husbands, their brothers, their sons were over there. Uh, We had very few women fighters uh, at the time. So we don't say our fighting men and women about World War II the way we do today. Uh, but uh, during the Cold War, yes, what what developed the listeners' interest in talk radio? There was a Cold War. Uh, there was a Cold War with the Soviet Union, a communist country. Bang, ninety miles south of, of Florida, uh, uh, communist Cuba. There was a lot to, to get people excited uh,
1: mm-hmm. in the nineteen 19- pivotal incident that that was pivotal to the genre that you were introducing and that you were developing with others.
0: That was yeah, sure. Well, we didn't talk about the Cold War every night, but uh, somebody uh, who could take an interview uh, with an author writing about some writing I'm not saying about a serious subject, but writing seriously about a subject, could be the Bermuda Triangle, uh, could be the Abominable Snowman, uh, th- that goes together with somebody who's going to say, hey, What is the Soviet Union up to now? You're interested in A. You're likely going to be interested in C uh, and F and and clear through the talk alphabet. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. you went right for you connected the dots new york city new york city was and probably still is i haven't been there for so long new york city was the epicenter for acid tests whatever was going to be tested and whatever was going to be trendy before california came in it happened in new york when did the rest of the country begin to cultivate a love for talk radio when when did it catch on with the rest of the country
0: well you that's a very very good question because i remember I remember the wise men who turned out to be the wise guys, (laughs) saying, well, a show like that might work in New York, but nowhere else. The people out there in flyover country, the people in Yadkinville, North Carolina, the people in Gaffney, South Carolina, the people in Valdosta, Georgia, it'll never sell there. But you know, not everything deteriorates. Some things get better. Uh, the awareness of the world uh, got better. Uh, More people began to care more and more. So uh, all of a sudden, guess what? People out there, if the talk show is a good one, uh, if the talk show strikes the right chords, if it doesn't strike the right chords, you see, people say that, Uh, Talk show hosts are not elected. Talk show hosts are appointed. That's a lie. Talk show hosts are elected. The only thing is every day is election day. Now, uh, if you lose your election as a talk host, you may not learn it Tuesday night or early Wednesday morning. It, It may take a month. It may take a couple months. You may even last as long as a year as a loser. But if you're a loser, you're going to lose. But if you're a winner, you're eventually going to get those parts of the country uh, that, as a matter of fact, you're, you're bringing back some very precious memory. I've forgotten there was a time when they said talk radio will only work in the big cities and not all the big cities.
1: And you proved them wrong, and others proved them wrong.
0: Hooray! <laughs>
1: I love it. Tell me... How Your audience, you are catering to still a sophisticated audience, people who are current event oriented. How does your audience profile today differ with the ones that uh, were happening in the early 60s up to about 1970?
0: I really have no way to answer that question knowingly uh, or honestly. All I can tell you is I treasure the letters from 10-year-olds. 10 year old those who aren't supposed to be part of, Of the talk radio universe at all Uh, I don't notice any difference men and women Uh, elderly versus middle age uh, I think we we probably we probably have more people over 45 than under 45 but uh, I would feel I would hate to put my hand on a Bible and testify before any (laughs) advertising jury uh, because I just don't know some people figures and they rattle them off and they sound like they know I don't know
1: that's, that's about as honest an answer as I have ever heard <laughs> truly I mean when somebody says I don't know how refreshing that is oh
0: well I guess. stick with me baby I'll refresh you a lot <laughs> there's a lot I don't know
1: <laughs> too funny tell me the, the one thing that surprised you most between 1960 and today
0: oh wow uh, you mean in the world?
1: No, and uh, I, I should have clarified that. You may choose in the world. I am hopeful that you will tell me one thing that surprised you during the evolution of talk radio. All right,
0: I'll, 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 I'll tell you the, 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 the most surprising thing I learned in talk radio first, okay? Hmm. Uh, uh, I learned that manner is more important than meaning. I couldn't believe it. I honest to God believe that if I had Adolf Hitler on one microphone and Winston Churchill on the other, and if Churchill were rude, uh, 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 interruptive, insulting, obnoxious, listeners, including Jewish listeners, would call up and say, Who's that nasty Englishman who won't let that poor German speak? So I learned how important manner is. Another thing I learned, and every every one of you is going to learn this. When somebody says, hey, I heard you Friday night. Wow, it was a great show. Never, never say, oh, well, I I did three separate things. Which one did you like? Uh-uh. do remember. All they remember is all they have to remember. They remember deriving a pleasantness, a good feeling from the show they listen to.
1: You filled a need and educated them along the way.
0: Right. Now, uh, as for uh, uh, the biggest uh, surprise in the world, uh, uh, it's the way the world... Uh, well, I, I'm going to join... Of the late David Brinkley. And this, uh, in, in quoting him, uh, I'm giving you my own thoughts and the thoughts of everybody else who's honest and a little bit older. Uh, uh, in, in his retirement uh, speech or interview, David Brinkley uh, said his biggest surprise was that Bill Clinton was elected president in 1992. Because when it became evident in that campaign that he had tried to get out of military service, David Brinkley, being as old as he is, said, well, that is it. That is absolutely the end of his opportunity to be president. Because in the America David Brinkley grew up in, that would have been the end. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, He had not counted on young people feeling differently. I'm reminded of that every time I turn on radio or television and hear words that were considered very serious cuss words when I was a boy. Mm So, I mean, look, there are a lot of... I don't know if it's true or not, but somebody once told me that the suicide rate... You, you know, you, you're probably too young to remember. Once upon a time, the American cars, and forget all others, there, no foreign car could compete with any American car, uh, even overseas. Everybody loved all American cars. They led the pack, believe it or not. There was a time. I was alive then. Uh, and every American car changed its design every year. And suicide rates went down markedly about three weeks before the new cars came out. Because even depressed people wanted to stick around long enough to see what the new model Plymouth would look like, what the new model Buick would look like. You understand?
1: I'm not even going to ask you how and why you came to that piece of information. Uh, well, no,
0: I'll, I'll, I'll tell you why because I'm constantly surprised uh, at things that really shouldn't be surprising. Now, once upon a time, in 1950, in June, North Korea attacked South Korea. American might, inserted immediately by President Harry Truman, saved South Korea. South Korea is today a prosperous, industrial, Asian democracy. North Korea is as close as you can get to hell on earth. Uh, Two million people starve to death. Do you know that the people of South Korea, particularly the young, want us out? They don't want to annoy North Korea. They consider us a bigger threat than this Communist neighbor to their immediate north that destroyed their country, slaughtered millions of them as recently as 1950?
1: Now, why is that? You're giving me, you're giving me a couple of examples of why, I'm, and I'm on the listener side, why I think you, of all people, have been so sustaining and enduring in talk radio, is that you can give us pieces of information that we will not hear elsewhere. Oh. You will give us opinions that are rooted in education and an honest-to-goodness awareness of what is going on and the implications of these pieces of information. And I think what you just gave us was a couple of examples of that, and, and I am so grateful to you for having I'm going
0: to pretend my line went dead. I can't go uphill from there. I, I beg your pardon? I'm going to pretend my line went dead here because I can't go uphill from where you got <laughs> <laughs> I cannot improve on that, ever. You are That's the nicest thing you could possibly say, and I thank you.
1: Well, it, it's our pleasure out here because you have given us so many gifts over the years. Tell me about your schedule today. What is a typical work week? Tell people about the stations. How many stations are carrying your show now? Oh, uh,
0: about 50.
1: 50 stations in this mm-hmm. nationwide.
0: On the talk radio network.
1: On, on the
0: mm-hmm. ERN. I, I write a column for Newsmax.com. And I'm always working on new new language products, you know, how to learn the Russian alphabet in 20 minutes. Uh, can
1: I, can uh, I do that?
0: How uh, to uh, 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 learn Chinese quickly and easily. And uh, I'm always working on stuff like that. So uh, okay. I have a full day. I'd rather burn out than rust out.
1: That, that is incredible. Now, your show is on Saturday afternoons. They're going to have to check their station listings to make sure that they... Well, uh,
0: they, you can go online, www.talkradionetwork.com.
1: And I, I saw that your schedule was up there. How do we go about getting your broadcast on our local stations here? You are not on No. <laughs> local radio. I, so you know, I went out and said, you need to tell me he's still got shows there and we don't have it? Let me
0: tell you, let me tell you one of my good things. Uh, I remember, I'm i thinking now of the newspaper of my hometown in North Carolina. And occasionally they would run uh, a picture of a couple celebrating their 60th wedding anniversary and in, the, in their 80s. And the paper would actually say they've been married 62 years and never had a quarrel. <laughs> and I'd look at them and I'd say, no wonder. They, they look like two rutabagas growing side by side. They don't know enough to quarrel. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I, uh, uh, I, I don't know how I can uh, 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 li- live up to any of the things uh, 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 you're saying, uh, but I really uh, uh, would love uh, uh, for you to understand one of my good things here. I have never, I'm not saying I never had a quarrel, I'm saying I have never, I've been on the air, wait a minute, this year is uh, 47 years. Let's see 1960, yeah, this is my 47th year on the air. And I have never asked anybody, hey, call the station and tell them you want my show or call the station manager or the program director, call the station owner, and say, hey, that Farber is great. I have never primed the pump. And
1: I will do it myself.
0: I, I sort of uh, get credit for that. People know that uh, you're a square dealer after enough decades of dealing squarely. Uh, now, if, uh, if somebody calls me and says, Barry, I am going to uh, call the state. Who should I ask for? If I happen to know the name of the program director, I'll tell him. But I don't know who might be prompted uh, to try to get my show on a local station. So, <laughs> like the Dutch underground in World War II, you're on your own. Good luck and thanks for thinking that way.
1: <laughs> you are too much. I have overstayed my welcome here. We were going to limit this to half an hour and we're already up to 45 minutes. I want to close if with your permission. There is an opening line on your bio sheet up on TalkRadioNetwork.com. And the first sentence is, as smooth and civilized as Jack Daniel's whiskey.
0: Yeah, I didn't just write... as much kick. <laughs> I didn't write that. Uh, some didn't. publicist uh, at the network wrote that. Now, I didn't want to go in and, you know, show them where the bear sat in the buckwheat. I don't want to be identified with alcohol. Um, uh, I didn't find it. I I don't think any young person is going to be uh, uh, tempted to try whiskey because of that line. Uh, I don't think any uh, borderline alcoholic is going to plunge into deep alcoholism because of that line. Uh, So I just let it go.
1: It's a a fabulous metaphor that most people can tap into when we're talking as smooth and civilized as Jack Daniels whiskey and with just as much. Wow.
0: Hey, thank you very, very much. By the way, I, I wouldn't want anybody to think that I uh, frowned at you and said, "Hey, I'll do it for a half hour and that's all."
1: That oh late. no 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 no! We promised that uh, we we would um, try to try to work in all of this within a 30-minute time frame, and you have been most gracious in in going over with us, and I I really do appreciate that. Well, thank
0: you very very much. You give me a big lift, and good luck to you all in 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 what you're doing on the air because you represent a high spot. There, shows that you adhere to a higher standard.
1: You are marvelous. Thank you so much, Barry Farber. To be continued, and thank you. (laughs) All right, we got it. Okay. Thank you, Barry. Hey, thank you. It's been an honor. What a delight absolutely awesome and I never use that word this has been such a a joy for me to be able to talk with you and I I am so grateful that you consented to it and allowed me to do that
0: well my little heart is all afloat and you gave me a very very big day and I thank you
1: you're responsible for making me a talk show junkie and I have a few people who might want to uh, go toe-to-toe with you (laughs) on that one, but uh um it has served me well and you are single handedly responsible for it. Thank you so much. I am doubly grateful. Okay. Have a wonderful week and uh thank you again. Thank you. Bye bye now. Bye bye. Bye bye. There we go. What? All right, Patricia. Is he fabulous or what? That was wonderful. Okay, I will talk with you in chat. I'm going to my doctor's office. Have fun. I'm even going to be on time. All right. Be good. Thanks, Walden. Right, hon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.